0: Well, we welcome you to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I am Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, not I couldn't think of a better thing to do today. This is on Monday than uh, be in a nice, warm house and uh, talk sports.
1: Yeah, I tell you what, uh, this is this cold is insane. But it was kind of funny. It went out. I went out briefly on Sunday night to uh, I, I went out to start uh, my car in my wife's van, and I took some trash out. You know, probably around six or seven o'clock or something like that. And I just remember thinking, you know what? If the wind's not blowing, it's actually not that bad out here.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I don't know. I'm just I. No matter what the temperature is, I can't do I can't do the wind, man. I mean, if it's like five degrees out and the wind's not blowing, I'll, I'll, I'll be more than content with that. But uh, it's it's that wind. No matter what the temperature is, that gets to me.
0: Yeah, that's a any wind when you get temperatures like this is a is a biting wind. But uh, anyhow, since we're in where it's nice and warm, we'll start off with uh, a week removed from the Super Bowl, and of course the NFL. It's just the way it is; they switch gears so quickly. It's all about the off season, the draft, free agency. So let's talk a little Chiefs to get started. As I look through all of the Restricted, unrestricted, all the different levels of free agents. And boy, Brad, the Chiefs are loaded with them in a lot of key places. I think a few that pop up to me right away are a couple of their receivers, Sammy Watkins and uh, Demarcus Robinson, are both free agents. Uh, there's talk about uh, on the offensive line, there's some free agents there, even Mitchell Schwartz with that back injury. There's talk about maybe he'll get cut due to salary cap. So what do you think about some of these uh, free agents and big decisions that the Chiefs have moving forward?
1: I think that, you know, Sammy Watkins, it's it, it's time. I mean, we we obviously appreciated his run that he had last year during the playoffs where he was sensational. He's had some bouts of good moments. I think that Jacksonville game at the start of the 20 what, the 2019 season where he had almost 200 yards receiving. You know, he's obviously a good player, uh, It's just his injuries and I, I don't know, He it's, he's not worth the money essentially that, that the Chiefs are paying him. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, I don't know, I I kind of like him. I like him definitely more than uh, nicole Hardman. Uh, I think Hardman is just insanely talented, but not getting what he needs out of his talent. And I think really what the Chiefs I think what they need to do is you really got to beef up that offensive line. You have to protect your number one asset in Patrick Mahomes. And then on the other hand, they got to get some, they have to be able to get something more of a pass rush out there. So I don't know what they can do about that in free agency, but you know, in, in the salary cap area, there's always give and take. And you know, I, I would like to see more help on the, on, 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 frankly, on both sides of the line.
0: Definitely. Uh, and I didn't realize and it made sense that the Chiefs offensive line that started the Super Bowl of their five starters that they were going to start training camp with. There was only one left. Healthy and playing when the Super Bowl came around, the other four were either, uh, you know, Duberde Tardiff he opted out. The other three were were injured and out. Um, so I think we, we really did have, even though we didn't want to admit it. The Chiefs wouldn't say it. They had a very depleted offensive line for that Super Bowl game, and and definitely, um, whether it's re-signing some of these guys or restructuring what they can do, uh, do you go to the draft? Um, the center position is highly talked about right there in the middle. Uh, it's gonna be fascinating to see what they do uh, up front. And I, I'm I'm with you on the defense. Um, I wanted to put out a. Uh, missing an action for Frank Clark and Chris Jones during the Super Bowl. <laughs> Cause how many times did you call their name? Once? Maybe yeah, twice? maybe once. Yeah. Um they didn't they didn't play well like most of the rest of the team didn't. But um they definitely need to you know, like you say, protect Mahomes, um keep plenty of weapons. I think we all know Le'Veon Bell is going to be um somewhere else next year. Of course Damian Williams, he may return um daryl williams had a good season of course we know what we have and um, edward solare coming back but but they do have and and brad everybody's the same way that you're always faced with financial decisions and free agents and then are they worth the money can you let them go can you get somebody cheaper for the same on the field value it's it, it's just what makes i guess the nfl relevant 12 months a year because here we are you and I are talking about these decisions just one week after the Super Bowl
1: yeah and you know, the you start focusing on the NFL draft and it's always a very talked about time I mean that's when the of course you know a, a, a lot of uh, GMs are made or uh, broken It's through, through the draft it's not really teams it's more the GMs and you know I, I uh, the Chiefs have a pretty good history here lately uh, of some good drafts so I, I Definitely would like to throw some trust in them to make the right decisions here regarding the draft. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly where they'll be going. You know, Mahomes kind of had his hand in last year's number one draft pick, and I'm going to guess that maybe he's going to say, hey, guys, maybe a little bit more protection would be good for me next year. But, you know, like you said, uh, maybe they restructure some deals. Maybe they go through the free agent market. There's all kinds of ways. And from what I I heard, this is actually going to be a pretty deep the free agent market for wide receivers so obviously you know you got Kelsey and Hill but honestly Scott who's the Chiefs number two receiver like who would you consider the Chiefs number two receiver to be
0: oh you know towards the end of the season I would have had to have said maybe Pringle I mean it seemed like he was getting as many touches as Robinson was um maybe he's that up-and-coming guy um he's I think he's a I think he's a restricted free agent, and I think they they, they definitely think they're going to bring him back. Um, I, to me, it's a toss-up between Robinson and Pringle at that number two true receiver. We all know it's Kelsey and Hill up front. But that, that's that's the guys that, for me, it would come down to.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Hart, like I, said, I, McCall Hardman's got so much talent, I think. But for whatever reason, it's just not uh, resulting in what the expectations that maybe we have set for him where he's got the speed, definitely, uh, but he's just prone to so many just boneheaded mistakes out there, some bad fumbles. I mean, he's kind of become the resident dunderhead on this team that Travis Kelsey used to be, where Kelsey was always good for a fumble every now and then to cause you to shake your head. But, yeah, I think uh, the the Chiefs definitely need – I I think their most pressing needs are on on the lines on both sides, and then I think the third need is a number two wide receiver.
0: You know, they have been linked to A.G. – excuse me, A.J. Green uh, from Cincinnati and possible free agent move. Um, Green was injured a lot of this last year. I think we all believe he's probably at the tail end of his prime, maybe is the best way to say it, if he's healthy. What would you think about A.J. Green joining that receiving crew at definitely a reduced cost to what he normally would demand in free agency?
1: You know, I think there's probably a lot of free agents that would be more than happy to come over to Kansas City. Uh, There was (laughs) some guy for Detroit, I can't remember who it was, was essentially on social media. People were telling him to come to Kansas City, and he just kind of put some emojis out there. They're like, hey, you know, it's clear that that he's at least interested in coming to Kansas City, so... You know, I think that I think what a good number. I think there's two things that make a good number two receiver. One, you got the young guy, the rookie who's who's starting to build his way up, or second year guy trying to build his way up into that number one. And then the other one is the seasoned veteran, the guy, and that's what Watkins was supposed to be, the veteran who's going to come in, grab 60 balls, you know, for 800 yards, five touchdowns, or something like that. You know, just a, a legitimate option that to offset Hill and Kelsey, and if you know, once again, if the chiefs can find that bona fide number two receiver these next couple of years that, you know, the offense should be even better, especially if they can beef up that line.
0: Well, I, I think AJ green, I think he definitely would take less money to be on a contender. I mean, like I said, he's getting into that tail end of his prime or maybe even a little past it. And he's going to be looking for a, a team that's going to be a contender. So, I mean, if he's healthy, and would fit in I, I i don't think i would mind uh them going after him but again that is why it's it'll be a fascinating off season for our Kansas City Chiefs well since the weather feels so much like it Brad how about some baseball talk here <laughs> before we get into our usual subjects uh of all things the royals making uh, maybe the biggest off season move yet um a three team trade they pulled off to bring in boston's andrew i want to get this last name right benintendi in a uh, in a deal that's going to send four um, players from the royals there's a couple of those uh, to be named later players involved i think they're going to the red Sox, and i believe the mets was the other team uh in this whole deal uh benintendi uh was injured most of last year when he played he was not good at least his numbers of course you would probably relate that to him. he probably never was a hundred percent healthy when he did play in the shortened season last year um but it's a guy his career 162 game averages are a 273 batting average 353 on base and a 431 slugging with 40 doubles four triples and 17 home runs um Slotted to fit into left field in the number two spot in the batting lineup. So, what what was your first reaction, and then we'll get into whether it makes sense for the Royals right now.
1: Well, a lot of national experts really kind of lauded the trade. I know that uh, Jeff Passan was one of them who, and there's and there's a couple others who said essentially, you know, the the Royals are are, are playing for this year right now. That they they think that the Royals could potentially be a contender to win the American League Central Division this year. And what I like about this, and I'm sorry if I say his name incorrectly, Ben is from looking at his numbers, I mean, he's a doubles guy. And that's the doubles and triples guy are what you want in Kauffman Stadium. If you got a guy who can routinely hit 40, 45 doubles and play in Kauffman Stadium, I mean, the the outfield is so big there that obviously – that's that's the best kind of hitter, in my opinion, for Coffin Stadium is the doubles hitter. And that's a, and that seems what he is.
0: Uh, definitely. I mean, and they even talked about, of course, it makes maybe even more sense. They're talking about deadening down the baseball. Um, however, they manufacture them. It's supposed to be a little bit deader baseball that's not supposed to travel as far this year with you know all the homers. The last couple of three seasons they are trying to keep the ball maybe in play more, I think that part of it makes even more sense. Um, Do you like the idea of giving up at this point uh, four players um, to get a guy that you think can uh, maybe put you over the hump here in a year or two?
1: That was my one concern is that giving up the prospects. But on the other hand, you know, the Royals were roundly kind of, you know, beaten down when they got rid of Will Myers. You know they're they're saying they're giving up their future to try to win now, and looking back, that was a great trade. You got James Shields. You essentially got your ace pitcher for your first pennant team. Then you got Wade Davis, your setup man, and your closer for two pennants and and a World Series team. So you know Dayton Moore. Look, he he he's he's made some obviously some trades through the years that kind of raise your eyebrows a little bit. But I tell you what. When, when, you, when you're the GM of Kansas City and you've won two American League pennants and a World Series championship, I think that he still, even though we've kind of have, haven't had some good years since uh, 2016, uh, he still has earned the benefit of the doubt. And, and, you know, I'm willing to see how this one works out.
0: Well, bear with me. I saw what their projected opening day lineup is um, projected as of right now. So bear with me here Whitmerfield and Wright. And this is the batting lineup. Andrew Benatendian left. Jorge Soler, who had a great year and a shortened year last year, at DH. The cleanup is Carlos Santana at first, and Salvi um, catching at fifth. Hunter Dozier at third, batting sixth. Mondesi shortstop at seventh. Michael Taylor out in center field and eighth. And then they had a couple of different guys. I think they're leaning towards uh, Hanser Alberto um, at second base. When I first look at that lineup, if – Santana and Perez can both return to their um, all-star play. Solaire had a breakout year last year. We know what Ben and Merrifield at the top. I tell you, the the middle of that and the first part of that lineup, to me on paper, looks awful good.
1: Yeah, they – you know, solaire and, and Salvi's back, of course, and there, there's definitely some pop out there, and, of course – you know, Mondesi, can can he start realizing his true potential? I, I love the guy. I think he's got a world of potential, and I really hope he realizes it here this year. Just, you know, with a market like Kansas City, you're, you're always banking on the guys who are going to, you know, can't, you know, did they have a high end? Can they reach that high end or can they come close to it instead of, you know, you can't have too many 230 guys and guys, you can't miss on too many guys. If you're the Royals or really any small market team, you have to hit on almost everybody that's in that lineup. I mean, even looking back at the teams that the Royals had that went to the world series, I'll see this Escobar. He about hit his peak. I mean, he could not have done much more for the Royals than what he did. So was he a great player? No. Was he more than serviceable? Yes, he was actually, for a few years, a pretty good player. But that's about what his peak was. It was a pretty good player. So can some of these guys hit that peak?
0: And then, of course, with every team, you got to talk about the pitching staff. Will it be good enough with what we think is going to have a little bit more pop in the offense to keep them in games and not have to win games, you know, nine, eight, 10, eight, um, every night. Can they win some three, one, two, one games like that that you're always going to have, especially early in the year when it's cold. Um, I did see the, a couple of their minor league pitching signings here in the off season were Wade Davis and Irvin Santana. <laughs> yep. You know, we both know, In their prime. Now, again, we were talking in their prime. We saw how good Wade Davis and Irvin Santana are. You know, I think the Royals are betting on, hey, can we get these guys back to where maybe we can use them? Maybe even just in middle relief. Um, Is somebody good enough to maybe be a closer? I mean, uh, Greg Holland's been re-signed. I I saw that as well. I I think they're trying to find that mix. Can we milk whatever – baseball we have left in these guys that we're putting in minor league deals and get some production out of them in the next couple of years. And I, I, I think that'll be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And what what I think, uh, one of the big reasons that they're signing some of these guys like Davis and Holland and uh, Santana is, you know, not only are they hoping to maybe recapture, you know, 75% or 80% of the magic that they had a half decade ago, but they're also signing these guys because they've been there. They've been to the World Series. They know what it takes. And maybe some of that leadership can rub off on these young guys who, even someone like Whit Merrifield, who has not been through the rigors of a pennant race. So I think it's twofold. Yeah, they're hoping that they can recapture some of the magic, but also bring them along because they've been there and can maybe relay to these guys what it takes to, you know, battle through a pennant race.
0: So it'll be interesting. I think I saw uh, February 23rd, I believe, is their first spring training game. So that is, of course, what do we got here. The fifteen, eight days away, and uh, the Royals will actually be playing another major league team uh, at spring training. So it's hard to believe again when we're sitting here, but minus whatever it is today, but uh, baseball is very, very close, and we'll keep an eye on the Royals moving forward. Well, finally this week, Brad, uh, a little bit more positive notes to talk about our Kansas Jayhawks, uh, a three and O week for the Jayhawks started off with a really nice home win over a ranked Oklahoma state team, 78, 66, and then a home and home with Iowa state. And I hate to say it, but it's a bad Iowa state team. Uh, they hammered them in Lawrence, 97, 64, um, one in Ames a few days later on Saturday, 64 to 50. Uh, I think what I like that uh, just looking at box scores and seeing just very little of in-game action, they seem to win each one of these games differently. The Oklahoma state game got to the foul line 34 times and made 27. The, the first Iowa state game, there were 12 to 26 from the three point line. The second one, they got 22 more shots up than Iowa State off of 15 offensive rebounds. So I think that maybe encouraged me more than anything, that they won each game in a little bit different way, kind of showing maybe the full potential that they can win in multiple ways.
1: Yeah, and you like seeing uh, Bryce Thompson back as well. DeJuan Harris is back, uh, and Jalen Wilson was in a midseason funk. He seems to have snapped out of it with some double-doubles last week yeah uh, Iowa State's not a good team, but that's what Kansas. but if you're a team like Kansas, you can't slip up against an Iowa state. You have to be able to not only beat them but let's be honest I mean would we have would we have been impressed if they had beaten Iowa State by six and then two I mean nice but not really they they won both those games the the game in Ames was closer throughout and they won by fourteen yes, but it's still a fourteen point win. And if they, can, if they can take care of Kansas State this week, and then they got three games to, you know, rugged games to finish up the season. Fran Fraschella was saying on Saturday that, you know, he still thinks that Kansas, if they can continue to kind of find a late season stride, could finish, he thinks, second place in the Big 12. And then he was also saying, you know, with everybody potentially back next year, at least the key players, you know, because everyone gets another year of eligibility, he said Bill Self's going to hit the transfer market hard for a point guard. And he said, if he can find a point guard, he said, watch out for Kansas next year. And I know we're not really talking about next year that much, but it was very, but these last three games have been encouraging and they've got to keep building on that. They cannot slip it up against Kansas state. They cannot go. zero and three against tech, Texas and Baylor. They have to be able to beat K state and they probably have to win. Assuming they play all three of those games. Honestly, they probably need to win two of those three.
0: Yeah, I believe that. And like I said, that, that big one with Baylor and that's, that's where you really miss. And, and quite frankly, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to miss having that packed um, field house in Manhattan. I mean, (laughs) hate it as we do, Brad. Hate it as we do there in Manhattan and Bramlage. Oh, it's a great atmosphere when KU and K-State play, and that place is rocking. It just just is. Um, And I'm going to miss that. I'm really going to miss that when Baylor uh, goes into – Allen Fieldhouse here, as you mentioned, that, that, that game on the horizon. Um, I really missed that. But, yeah, they got – I mean, K-State, that's that's a no-brainer. You got to win that one. Uh, Texas Tech on Saturday, that's definitely a, a winnable game. Right now, Tech is – let me see here. I've got them at number 15 in the country, and they're actually 14-6, and 6-5 six, six and five overall. So, I mean, those are the teams, like you mentioned, if you want to make a push – catch Oklahoma try to maybe finish second I mean I think Baylor w- with a, a four game lead right now is not going to be catchable obviously but um, I think you you got to go 2-0 and this week and then see what you can do like you said you got to minimum get one if not two of those games down the stretch but again it's a, um, a lot more positive note than especially where two weeks ago or even last week that maybe the the arrow is now pointing back up a little bit
1: yeah absolutely and you know david mccormick is really he he was a very polarizing player uh in 2020 especially th- especially for this season and you know former mcdonald's all american really didn't seem like that he he was just seemed to be underperforming but he's actually probably been one of their most consistent players during conference play even when Kansas was not winning many games he was the one who was actually was kind of the steady influence all throughout so that's good to see from David McCormick it's also here here's something kind of interesting I think KU has 40 dunks so far this year Scott last year Yudoka Azubuki had 108 (laughs) so (laughs) just kind of tells you how different this team is this year but I I agree with you Scott I think the, the arrows pointed up a little bit right now but they have to be able to keep it going
0: yeah, again, their games this week will be on ninety four seven. It's at Kansas State Wednesday, and then home against Texas Tech on Saturday. Uh, staying at the college level, uh, Wichita State, boy, right now, Brad, one of their biggest problems has been getting games played. Again, I think they're going to have uh, um, the original schedule I saw for this week. They were going to have Memphis. That's not going to happen. Um, WSU is twelve and four. They're eight and two in second place in the American. They escaped central florida last week in their lone game 61 to 60 and now for those efforts they get to stay at home and play number six houston on thursday before um, having east carolina on sunday houston 17 and 2 11 and 2 so uh, any thoughts of an american championship um, they're eight and two uh, Houston's 11 and two in the conference. It, it rides on this game and boy, could they make a splash if they would knock off the Cougars?
1: Uh, Scott, we talked about uh, how much we miss missed the rambunctious atmosphere of college basketball in the uh, Midwest. Yeah. I mean, I was even thinking about Saturday, as bad as Iowa State is, you know those fans would have turned out for, for Kansas and to try to help their team to an upset over Kansas. So you know they would have packed Hilton on Saturday. Same thing with Bramlage on Wednesday, except it probably would have been closer to a 50-50 uh, split for KU and K-State fans. But still, it would have been probably close to a sellout if not sold out uh, when, when those two teams play. My goodness, can you imagine what the roundhouse would have been like, what Charles Cook Arena would be like this Saturday if ev- or I'm sorry, this Thursday, if every fan could if every seat could be filled by a fan, that place would have been just insane.
0: Yeah, it would have been. And that that's especially I, I really feel bad for for this year's team. We we talked a lot about, you know, the the coaching change right at the beginning of the season. They kind of got past that. They 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 played well for the most part most of the season out to a twelve and four mark and this would have been that game like you're talking about I'm sure it would have um, probably had some national TV coverage I'm I'm pretty sure that they would have done that I don't know if it does I haven't looked um, that far ahead but yeah that that place uh, there would it would not have been seats available I don't know that anybody would have been sitting in them <laughs> most of the game anyhow uh, it would have been standing room only and yeah it's something I really miss but you know that being said you still have Houston at home um, you feel pretty good about the way you're playing uh, we'll see what happens I'm 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 going to be really curious to see how this one comes out
1: I think Isaac Brown the interim coach of Wichita State uh, if he's not the conference coach of the year then something's wrong out there I tell you what that guy he not only should be conference coach of the year but he should be the unanimous conference coach of the year that guy has done incredible work with a program that was, frankly, reeling going into the season with everything that happened with Greg Marshall and some not and a lot of turnover within the program. I mean, that guy, not just from an X's and O's standpoint, but from a psychological perspe- perspective, has really done an outstanding job of keeping the ship not only float, but thriving.
0: Yeah, how many was it that transferred out in the spring? Was it it's six or seven? I was thinking
1: seven or so, yeah.
0: I mean that, yeah, it's amazing, and and I I don't remember Houston's head coach name right off the top of my head. Calvin Sampson. Sampson, um, obviously they're having a great season. They were expected to, and I I hate saying that because that shouldn't take away from your consideration as for coach of the year. But I'm with you. Isaac Brown is, if he's not, um, uh, get a new panel of voters uh, for the American. <laughs> Um, when this season's over, unless they just absolutely collapse down the stretch, I, I, I think they're head and shoulders above. So again, uh, those games are on 100.3 KNZS. Again, that's home for Houston Thursday, home for East Carolina on Sunday. Well, sticking with our college basketball theme here, the Sterling Warriors men and women, uh, it's getting real unusual, Brad. We're playing doubleheaders against the same team every week now. It's <laughs> kind of strange. And uh, boy, we got to start with the women again, Brad. They're now 24 and 0. They're 20 and 0. Officially, they're regular season champions. First time in 10 years. They moved up last week in the poll to number 10 in the country. And all that they did on Wednesday night against a good McPherson team with Channel 12 in the building. They ran the Lady Dogs out of the building, 105-83, to 83, a game which they led and had scored 54 points by halftime and led by plus 20. Uh, Bailey Banger, 23 points, eight assists. Kyla Comley, 21 points, six rebounds, four assists. And then in an absolute trap game on Saturday against the next-to-last-place Southwestern um they ended all thoughts about uh, an upset in the first quarter. It was 27 to seven at the end of the first quarter on route to uh, uh, almost a bench's clearing by coach Bassett in the second quarter. Um, (laughs) She played nearly the entire bench in the second quarter and throughout the second half on route to an 83, 44 victory. And again, it was so neat. Um, If you haven't seen it, you can find it online. There was a little uh, clip, on channel 12 news live and then they have the um the media the written um full article online at uh, you can find it on channel 12 or kwch and it it was just really refreshing that interviews with the kids and coach Bassett and and for them to play like that with them there it, it, it was really fun to watch and like i said they just got out they ran the floor shot the ball well i think they had 29 assists in that McPherson game, just setting one another up, and it it was just it was a masterpiece that night.
1: Well, you talked about how they kind of emptied the bench early on Saturday. It kind of makes me wonder, Scott, if you take out Sterling's starting five, and I know it's not fair to say maybe, but if you take away their starting five and and just use everybody else, is that still a mid uh, a a mid conference team? I mean, do they finish still like fourth, fifth, or sixth, or something like that? I mean it's clear that they would have probably beaten Southwestern probably comfortably still. And I think it's fair to wonder just, I think it's a pretty good indication how good this team is that if you take away their starting five, they're probably
0: still about uh
1: you know, a fifth or sixth place team.
0: They would be competitive with the middle of the pack. I, I don't know that I could, you know, put them up above because there's still some really good talent in the middle of the pack. Although right now second place uh, is six games behind Sterling. It's Tabor and Bethel uh, battling it out. I think Tabor's a half game ahead in the standings there. Um, yeah, it, it is a deep team. I mean, she does a true eight man rotation. And I mean, you, every time you look up, there are girls going in and out of that lineup between the eight to just keep the pressure going, keep the pace going. I mean, uh, last couple games on the road, they have been, I've been right by their bench. And Every time I look up, there's a couple, three girls standing by me ready to go into the game. It's just, it's amazing to watch. They just, that eight, you don't lose a thing when you go to the bench. You don't lose offensive productivity. You don't lose defensive intensity. Uh, Yeah, it's it's a deep team and a lot of fun to watch. And uh, again, this week, they're going to play a sneaky, tough road game at Ottawa. I know Ottawa is just 10 and 13, 10 and 11 overall. Senior Day at home on Saturday against an 11 and 13, 9 and 12 friends team. Both of these teams can play good defense. Ottawa's got a couple of burly, big post players, which can give Sterling fits at times. But again, if if they get the pace going, uh, they can run both those teams off the floor. And I think that's where teams are struggling because they just can't keep that pace contained for four quarters. And that's what I look for them to try to do again. Uh, this week and try to run the table for the regular season.
1: Scott, it seems to me that since they had that kind of uh, weird month where they hardly played between uh, December 14th and January 27th, I mean, that's what six weeks about where they only played, if this is right, two games in that stretch. Since they've gotten back into the the groove again, starting with that victory over Bethany on the 27th of uh, January, it seems like that they're getting better right now, that they are just – and that's hard to believe, but that this Sterling women's team just seems to be getting better as the season is coming to the end, uh, end of the regular season. And I'm not sure you can ask for more than that if you're a fan or even a coach of this team, for them to just be playing as well as they are right now. And like I said, it just seems like that they're getting better all the time.
0: They are, and you can see uh, Kyla calmly, especially the last few games, is really starting to look more for her shot. Um, she's heads and above second place, which I believe is her teammate, Bailey Banger, in assists leading the conference. I mean, I think she's 40 to 50 assists ahead of second place. Um, she started hitting the threes, Maurice. She's been really working on that, was not happy with her three-point shooting early on. You know, this is a her sophomore, junior year, the player of the year in the conference. Um, and just to see her focusing on improving, Taya Wilson, um, such a defender, uh, towards the top of the conference and steal she's looking more for her shot now so to 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 think that they're getting better offensively is really should be scary to everybody else in the conference and maybe you know come national playoffs which now is of course their focus is to finish out strong try to win the tournament get a number one seed um and get a buy in that first round of nationals which has been of course reduced from 64 to 48 teams they get a they will get to play in Wichita if they wrap that up. Um so there's still a lot to play for and I think that's why this team has stayed focused and is just like you said, I think they are um and it is scary to say I think they are continuing to get better.
1: <laughs> I, I'd hate to try to prep against them but uh, and and not only do they seem to be getting better, you know, with the, you know, just overall playing but mentally, they just – they seem to be just unshakable. And that's 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 saying something right now that, you know, when there, there seems to be no letter for this team, that they are so focused, they're determined, they know what the, goal, the end goal is, and nothing right now is deterring them at all.
0: So, the, again, it's at Ottawa Wednesday, home for friends on Saturday. It's the same schedule for the Sterling men who, again, Brad, continue to kind of have that peak and valley season – uh, they're now seven and sixteen, five and fifteen overall. They they won a game at home against McPherson on Wednesday night, seventy-one to seventy. It was one of those games, it was nip and tuck. They trailed a lot. They got it tied, had the last possession. Jemiah Haynes got along the baseline, cutting up, pinned against the baseline, kind of tried to go up for a shot, kind of jumped into a guy, ball came loose. The official blows the whistle with, I believe it was point three. On the clock and calls a foul on the defender. I mean, TJ Eskelson, the head coach for McPherson. I I really thought he was going to blow a gasket. I mean, <laughs> and I don't blame him. Brett, no. I don't blow the whistle in that situation. Um, Sterling's head coach, Adam Hooker, says I don't. He says I, I was not expecting a whistle at all there. I guess maybe the way they lost the Avila game, things over a full season. Um, there was a bad technical there that cost them a game and maybe this one jamiah steps up hits the first free throw and wins the game by one maybe that all evens out so they they got that win they had intensity on wednesday and just could not bring that intensity back with them to the floor at southwestern on saturday it was a competitive game but they ended up losing by 12 two straight games they didn't shoot the three well at all um So, again, it's just kind of an an up-and-down season for them. And with just two games left in the regular season, Brad, it's hard to think that they can really catch fire and correct that um, heading into um, the postseason tournament.
1: Yeah, it's hard to know exactly what to expect from this Sterling men's team, Scott. It just seems like every. Every box score I look at throughout the season, just something is different and maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. I mean, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency game to game. And I'm looking at the box score against McPherson. I mean, Grant Olson, my goodness, 20 rebounds, five block shots, 10 points. I mean, and it just seems like that they have players who have those kind of games every now and then because we know we know what Haynes is going to do. And it just seems like, though, the collectively that game to game, we just don't know what we're going to see from this Sterling team. It's not. It's almost like they never really have found their identity.
0: Uh, you're absolutely correct because you know you mentioned Grant Olson that fantastic game <laughs> on Wednesday. Seven foot. I mean, he just has something that most teams. I mean, you get the ball inside to him, and if it's one on one, or if he gets an offensive rebound in deep, he's going to score. You just can't defend that. They made a real concentrated effort on getting him the ball on Wednesday. It turned around. The only thing, point wise, he had on very few touches was a a, a three pointer that bounced straight up and went in on Saturday. <laughs> um, he kind of thought, okay, they finally kind of found when he's in there, they're going to get the ball to him, and then they just couldn't on Saturday. So yeah, it's I think it is a team that, and it's when you don't have your identity this late in the season. I think that's a that's a team you just. You do not know what you're going to get from night to night. If you get their best, um, they're a threat to upset most of the teams in the conference. If you don't get their best, um you have a seven and sixteen team. Um yeah, it's it's been an interesting and it uh Unpredictable season for sure.
1: Yeah, then they get they're finishing up the regular season with a couple of teams that they ha- had pretty good games with earlier this season. They lost to both Ottawa yeah. and friends, but these are winnable games. And you know, we talked we've just talked a little bit about that consistency. If you're probably not going to get it now at this point of the season, but hey, if you can win these two games, go into the postseason, win a game, maybe two there, maybe something to build on for next year. But I, you know, it's just it's just been a, as you say, roller coaster. just been just a. <laughs> I guess, a bizarre season for the Sterling men.
0: It has been. Again, they they have the same schedule as the women at Ottawa Wednesday, senior day at home on Saturday against Friends. Well, as we always do this time of year, a full schedule of high school basketball for you after a couple of uh, hiccups last week in the schedule or um, schedule for doubleheaders all week long. And let's look at a couple of the – the games on Tuesday, which will have 94 7 Lions at Nickerson, 95 9 Bueller at McPherson, Marion at Trinity on 100.3, and Kicks 106 Heston at Halstead. You know, I've been covering Lions all season long, Brad. They had the week last week at least the boys. Uh, COVIDed out on Tuesday when they're supposed to play at Smoky Valley, coming, of course, off of that magical. Victory over Heston, previously undefeated Heston on the on the Friday before, so they had to wait and then play a, the number ten team in Three A Haven on Friday. And a couple of things I saw there, Brad, is they're still out two starters, and the and the word now on Dawson Stover is is really not very promising. Every time he tries to practice and do more than just some regular drills, uh, that injury kind of flares up again, so they're not sure if or even when, he'll be back this year. Um, They're hoping maybe to get Cade Crawford back. Mm, Probably not this week. They're hoping maybe the next week they may have a makeup game where there would be two games in the following week to maybe get him back. But they didn't have the energy. And, boy, that Haven 1-3-1 zone last Friday completely threw Lions out of sync. They could not penetrate inside that that top layer of that one, three, one. And they ha- they did not have a two point field goal in the first half. They had five threes for the game. They had six threes, three, two point field goals. And that just couldn't get it done. And the Haven's a really good team. And that zone has befuddled more teams than lions, but um, it was disappointing. They just didn't have that intensity. I guess it wasn't as surprising. Yeah. Haven's not number one and all that, which, which all comes with that. But again, lions, if they can't get healthy and this is the makeup of their team, they have to play near flawless with fantastic energy to be um, a threat in their sub-state.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I was, I guess, a little surprised by the margin. Not that the Haven isn't a great team, but, you know, Lions, of course, was just coming off that victory over Heston. So, uh, at this point, you know, and, and Haven had come into that game having lost three – they had come into the game having lost three out of four. So, maybe it was kind of a perfect storm of sorts because you know that haven wasn't going to be down losing a a major stretch of games like that i mean they're they're going to get a quality win at some point and it just happened to be against lions i mean they could have beaten hillsborough they could have beaten hoysington so it's not like that haven was losing to a bunch of dogs but they were going to come out and finally kind of put a whooping on somebody it just happened to be lions i think
0: yeah, it was, and, and Haven, they played very well. I mean, they, they controlled that game from from the start with, with their defense, uh, uh, Darby Roper slashing to the bucket, and, uh, you know, they, they've got good shooters. Um, boy, they've got size in Barlow. I mean, you talk about offensive linemen on the basketball court. He gets in that lane. You're not going to move him out. Um, he's tough down low, and it was the perfect storm. They're on the road twice this week at Nickerson, certainly a winnable game. Nickerson boys are better than their record says as far as some of the athletes they have. And then boy, really tough on Friday at Hoisington. So um boy, it's it's time to to put her in gear because right now they're a half game behind Haven for the second spot in their substate. And then there's Ellsworth, which I need to bring up the substate standings. Ellsworth just has so many fewer games. I don't know what they're gonna do with that as far as standings. But if you fall into that four seed, Brad, we all know what that means. You would play Heston um, in the second round of sub-state. Um, now, either at Haven or Heston in the second round if you win your first round game. But still, I think um, you want to avoid Heston as long as you can. So there, there's a lot on the line for for Lions to come out and and play well this week and end the, the season strong.
1: Yeah, then – Beyond Ellsworth, you got southeast southeast of Salina, ten and six. So yes, there, there could be a lot of movement potentially still between the second seed and the five seed. And by the way, Scott, is it just me or that these teams in the Central Kansas League do they intentionally schedule all their tough games in, in succession like this? It just seems like <laughs> that anytime some like one of these teams is going through a tough stretch of games, it's like they play all the good teams like within two weeks of each other. It seems like I mean, you look at uh, Haven is since. Let's see. Since February, since the start of this month, Hoysington, Hillsboro, Lions—they got Heston coming up still. So I don't know. It's just kind of weird how they have all these just the the really good games, uh, really tight in succession like that. Which is fine. I mean, it's it's great for us, but yeah, not not a lot of margin for error for any of those teams right
0: now. And I, and I hear you know after the Hoysington game Friday. The last right now scheduled game would be a a home game versus Halstead on February 23rd of Tuesday. I heard rumblings that on that Monday, they may try to make up the road game at Smoky Valley. Um, So that would add another game in there to the standings, which right now they're, they're 11 and four. Hillsworth is nine and four. So again, I don't know how Keisha is going to handle these uneven records and, I have a feeling it's going to come down to whatever your winning percentage is. Right, it will be. Um, And then you got, like you said, you got to look in your rearview mirror at ten and six Southeast of Saline. If you really stumble down the stretch, you could be looking at a road game to open Substate. If you fall behind, you know Southeast, you could have to go maybe to Southeast or to Ellsworth. So, um, an awful lot on the line for the Lions boys, especially.
1: Yeah, I mean, even looking at Southeastern Saline's schedule, boy, they got Ellsworth coming up. How big is that game right there? Uh, Ellenwood also coming up for Southeastern Saline. So they also have a pretty tough schedule coming up.
0: Uh, Bueller at McPherson, uh, another game there on Tuesday night is always intriguing on the boys' side. That that for years in multiple sports seems to be Bueller's kryptonite. Now, Bueller boys – I, they're really seeming after that stretch where they, I think they played, what was it, five games in seven days or something unheard of uh, back there in January. They're starting to round into form. What do you think of that matchup Tuesday night over in McPherson?
1: Well, McPherson has beaten Beeler this year. It was a little bit different in that I think that was McPherson's fifth game and it was Beeler's first game because most of Beeler – uh their december as you would say uh coveted i guess covet is now a verb also as as you as you <laughs> said <laughs> uh th- i'd say that that's a that's a big game not from a, a seating perspective Bueller's going to be the top seat at their sub state they, they pretty much have pulled away from the field but you always and and i know this isn't the mcpherson teams of old but mcpherson is still mcpherson it seems like when they lose the games are always close and of course you know that and they, they've got some quality wins this year you know, they only lost to Andover Central by, but it was a 12 point game, but it was closer than that most of the way. They played Derby. They played May South. They played a tough schedule. They played Shawnee Heights. They played Manhattan. Two close games there. So uh, I, I do think that this is going to And Here's the thing, Scott is we can pretty much uh, figure out that that's going to be the sub state championship game between Buehler and McPherson, or most likely between Buehler and McPherson. If McPherson wins this game again, now you kind of got the, the psychological factor in McPherson's favor. We're like, okay, Bueller's having this great season, but they just can't get by Mac. If Bueller can win yeah. it, now Bueller's thinking, okay, we beat them once. They they beat us. It was our first game of the season. We kind of expected to play like a bunch of dogs. Now we know we can beat them. <laughs> now we you know, if we see them again, we know we can beat them. So I think from a psychological perspective, this game is huge for Bueller.
0: I, I completely agree with that that Bueller needs to get that. Mental edge back, if not on McPherson, at least even, and put a little doubt in their mind that the rubber match could could go the Crusader way this year if they could pull that off on Tuesday. Um, You have Heston at Halstead on Tuesday. Uh, I think we know how the boys' game is going to go in that matchup. Uh, Do you think the Heston girls saw them? They we saw them against St. John. I saw them play against Lions. They are getting better the Heston girls can they challenge Halstead and and make that a tight one down the stretch
1: you know I'm never gonna I would never bet against Heston in basketball and especially Matt Richardson uh for his girls team and they've they've got a such a good team again this year they're looking at uh no worse than the probably the fourth seed in their sub state and they could still conceivably finish as high as second so they 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 still got a an opportunity to really make a good postseason run. I just think that Halsett is just so good, so deep, so athletic, so experienced. I mean, their only losses this year are Dicini and Nickerson. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing n- nothing to be shameful about that at all. Since then, they've had comfortable wins over Hoysenton and Larned. <sighs> you know, Matt Richardson's such a good coach. I don't have any doubt that he can come up with something. But at the end of the day, it it, can, it often comes down to athletes, and boy, Halsett is so athletic. Um, out there and when you got Corinna Gerber and, and Parker Schroeder and some great players like that, Kaylee O'Brien, Haley Lewis. I mean, it's such a good, deep team. It's going to be tough, but I never would count out a Matt Richardson team, especially a Heston Matt Richardson team.
0: I believe Heston can stay in this game for two, three quarters. I just don't know that they have enough firepower to, to match scores with Halstead. I think Halstead can uh, – pull away um, in the second half in this game. But again, if somehow they could pull the upset um, and then they're hosting the sub-state with Halstead in it, then there comes your mental um, edge again. If they could somehow win a road game at Halstead, that would be huge for Heston heading towards sub-state. Um, Friday night's at astro schedule, we already mentioned Lions at Hoisington should be a great boys game. Buellers at Augusta on 95-9. Nine. Sedgwick at Trinity on one hundred one hundred point three. Little River at Inman on Kicks 106. Uh I, We already talked about the Lions boys. That'll be fantastic on Friday. How about Little River at Inman? I um that's kind of an interesting game on both sides. Little River girls uh are playing very well right now. They won the Uh, Mid-season tournament down there in Fairfield. Uh, They play an Inman girls team that has some talent. The boys side, I don't know that Inman or anybody right now can stay with Little River. What do you think about both of those games in Inman on Friday? You
1: know, I saw Little River play Elyria Christian on Friday. And I saw Little River girls earlier this season. uh, I think it was against Mound Ridge and they got thumped pretty good. 59-42 uh, 50, to, to Moundridge, but boy, I tell you what, uh, they played a state-ranked Elyria Christian team and just took them to the cleaners, and Elyria had beaten Little River earlier this year, 25-22, and this time uh, Little River wins it 38-18, to 18. Mm-hmm. and I was just, the, the improvement that they have made since that game against Moundridge, but more than that, Scott, there's not a single senior on that Little River team. And I, I, you, when you've got the the season that they're having, where they're the top seed in their sub state and they're 14 and three, you don't want to speak too much about the future. But goodness, I mean, this uh, Little River girls team is going to be something else next year with so many outstanding juniors and freshmen on this squad. So, uh, I, do, do I see Inman? Uh, you know, competing with this Little River team. I mean, maybe for for a while, but I think ultimately Little River is going to be too good. And on the boys' side, you know, they're 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 not bad. I, I like uh, Inman's boys. Uh, they play a pretty tough schedule, so their their schedule pro- or the record maybe not be what you would expect it to be. But that's part of uh, that they play such a tough schedule this year. And uh, I do like uh, Little River to beat them for a second time this year. They beat them over at the Burton tournament earlier this year. I just Little River just so good, so talented, so many different weapons out there. Trey Rolfs had 14 first quarter points the other night at Illyria. so this team is they're so much fun to watch. And I I I do think that could be a pretty good game though.
0: I was looking here in the the sub state stand, Little River girls right now 14 and three, Um, atop the what is the Canton Galva sub state there in one one a division one with Sylvan Unified at 10 and three, Rural Vista at 10 and five I that yeah they are after kind of a sluggish start you talk about rounding into form it reminds you a little bit now i'm not going to say they're as talented but remember the, the little river boys team last year without a, a single senior on them and they were in the subs or the state semifinals when the season ended last year now, now don't don't get excited and little river fans if you hear that you know that you're going to the state semis but um yeah you, uh, the team that just seems to, like you said, we talk about identity and playing your best ball in the second semester. And they are, they have found their identity and they're doing exactly that. They are peaking at the right time. And boy, I, I like their odds heading, you know, just with a week and a half left, heading in the sub state to, uh, to make some noise.
1: Speaking of substate, Scott, that substate that Little River is going to is I can't in Galveston. You don't that now, I know that Canton Galva's basketball isn't as good as their football, but they've still got a lot of good athletes, and they're not bad. They actually gave Little River a decent game with uh, their boys' team. You don't think that Canton Galva wouldn't be licking their chops at the thought of playing on their home court, uh, ruining Little River's basketball season? I know Little River didn't beat them in football, but do you know that there's a part in Canton Galva, all those football guys who were playing basketball who look at what Little River did and think, that should be ours. We we, we 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 want to take that back in some capacity. So you, you can't tell me for a second that Canton Galva wouldn't be licking their chops at the opportunity to play undefeated Little River in the postseason.
0: Oh, they absolutely would on their home floor. I think right now the, absolutely. the, the trouble is I'm looking at that sub-state right now, Brad. They are in – I think that's a seven-team sub-state. They are in fifth. Um, so they would have to go – let me see how this would work out. There is –
1: They'd have to go to Solomon to S- or Gossel S- first. Solomon
0: or Gossel first, and win a road game. The Canton Galva boys are nine and eight right now, um, and then I don't think they would. Would they be on the same side of the bracket as Little?
1: Yes, they would. It would be the yeah. They would be the four or five, so they would play Little River, who would have a first round bye. Okay,
0: so that could be a potential um, one of those Thursday or Friday night sub state games on a home floor um, that you would really look forward to now, or you and I, again, people can't Galva fans don't get excited. Neither you or I are predicting the upset. (laughs) Let's, let's, let's get on record with that, but could it be a close game? It could be, like you said, they have enough athletes. We've talked a lot about Haven. Um, a lot of their football athletes never translated into basketball athletes, um Canton Galva is kind of a mix. Some of them do some of them are kind of role players, but again, you get hot on your home floor, you slow the game down. You never know. It could be a it could be a fun substate.
1: Yep, no doubt.
0: So that's the uh Ad Astra schedule for this week and most everything that's on my list. So uh we'll move on to uh final thoughts for the week. What do you have for us?
1: Well, You know, we talked a lot about sub-state basketball, Scott, and there's one team I kind of want to mention right now. That's the Hutchinson High School boys. Looking at their sub-state right now, they're playing the three Western Kansas 6A schools, or that's who they're paired with in sub-state, Dodge City, Garden City, Liberal. And Hutchinson finishes with a pretty tough schedule. Uh, They're currently third. They have the same number of wins as Liberal does, so it's possible that Hutch could fall to the fourth seed. But, but, I tell you what, They have lost to campus by two. They've lost to Salinas South. Let's see. They played them twice. They lost to them by four. They played them a second time, lost to them by three. And these are some of the top teams in 5A and 6A. They beat Goddard Eisenhower by 20 earlier this year. And if I'm not mistaken, I have to look at my schedule here. But Goddard Eisenhower played Dodge City and uh, gave them a closer game than that. So they played Arc City, a very good Arc City team on Friday, uh, only lost by five. They got a lot of close losses. I know... On one hand, you think that they get into the postseason; they got to learn how to win close games, and you're absolutely right. But this is a well-tested Hutchinson High School boys team, and I really think that they've got a chance to win that substate because of how competitive they've been in almost every game against high-caliber competition this year. Watch out for the Salt Hawks come substate.
0: I'm looking at that substate right now, and holy cow, 14 and one is Dodge. 13 and three liberal 10 and three garden city and normally seven and eight at this time of year well that's the good gr- that, that, that's actually it? the
1: girl's side <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: that's that that's the girl side actually i, I i'm sorry i'll I was talking about the boy Oh so that
0: is the boy's side oh wait here here we go yeah that's the girl yeah. side that's really loaded let me get up the boy's side yes. and yeah you mentioned that's even more competitive nine and five dodge eight and five garden five and nine hutch five and eleven liberal yeah that's uh Boy, that could be – It's
1: a winnable sub It could
0: be a toss-up. Um, out there in Dodge City, you never know. Um, you would play – if things played out right now, you play Garden City on a neutral floor in the, the first game. You you never know. Like you said, they're tested. If they can get that one victory that they need to kind of get that middle edge, you never know. They They could make some noise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just think that they just – so many tough opponents, with especially with Salinas South and campus. And, and it's not just been those two. I and mean, they play, you know, Mays and Mays South and some good teams like that also. Uh, they lost to Mays by eight earlier this year. You know, and, and their wins have been comfortable. You know, they, they clobbered Newton a couple times. They beat Great Bend pretty bad. They beat Wichita Trinity, a quality opponent. So uh, they, uh, about the only team that really has given them trouble so far is Derby. Derby clocked them pretty good by 16 but I, I tell you what, I, I would not write off this Hutchinson High School team come postseason. I think that they've got a chance. I,
0: I do think so, as too. That's a, That could almost be, I don't want to say a complete toss-up um, on the boys' side, but um, I definitely think that uh, they can be very competitive, maybe maybe win a game or two. And in and, and the four-team sub-state, obviously, two wins could get you home to the promised land. Uh, my final thoughts, I want to go back. Um, to what we talked about a little bit earlier, the the Sterling College Warrior Women uh, winning the regular season championship. It's their first regular season championship since uh, the 2010-2011 season and the first one for head coach Casey Bassett. And and Brad, what I wanted to say about Coach Bassett is she stepped into a situation that is – what Almost an impossible situation, and it doesn't matter what level we talk, if it's high school, small, or major college, or even professional, when you take over a program from a legend, as Lonnie Cruz was and is, that is a difficult situation. Just to give you an idea what she was coming into, Coach Cruz coached 33 years at Sterling. He had 30 consecutive winning seasons and an all-time record of 706 and 244, and those 706 wins are a best in the state of Kansas history of women's basketball coaches at the collegiate level, past Marion Washington um, to take number one all-time. He was 12-time coach of the year in the conference, 12 regular season titles, went to 16 national tournaments, 10 sweet 16s, two elite eights, and a final four. Um when he was at the helm of the lady warriors and his last couple of years, the program was on a downward trend. So coach Bassett kind of had that rebuilding mode to try to build a program kind of in her image. And you could really see this coming to fruition when this group, most of them were freshmen two seasons ago, they started that year 18 and zero, with five of their top seven being freshmen on that team um, ended up finishing second, in the regular season and the tournament, missed out on Nationals. Last year had garnered an at-large bid to Nationals after a second-place regular season and tournament finish. Uh, Didn't get to play their game at Nationals. We've talked about that a lot. And then this season, Brad, it it just all came together, a team that's really built in Coach Bassett's image, a fast team, uh, local kids, uh, a a team that plays for – one another and I just wanted to shout out to her because that that is it doesn't matter where you're at that's such a tough position to go into and to succeed the success now in um, I believe this is her seventh or eighth season at Sterling to get them back to that pinnacle where they're going to hang a banner here just shortly that that's really special and and very well deserved to coach Bassett and the lady warriors
1: yeah, they always say never follow the legend. I mean, that's what happened when Randy Dryling left Hutchinson High School. They said, "Don't be the next guy." Well, Ryan Cornelson comes in and he takes him to the state championship game. So, you know, Roy Williams the same way when he left Kansas. Everyone was thinking it's going to be a hard deal for whoever follows in Roy's footsteps, and I'll never never forget what my dad said. My my wise old man <laughs> said when Bill Self was hired, Bill Self will make us forget about Roy Williams and Darn if he wasn't correct about that. And you love to see it. That's so much pressure on someone, especially a younger coach like that. And to see the success that the Sterling College women have had these last few years, especially this year, that's, again, a lot of pressure following Lonnie Cruz. His name is always going to be synonymous with Sterling College basketball, and deservedly so. His name is always going to be intertwined with Sterling College women's basketball, and deservedly so. And that's just – it it makes it hard, though, for the coaches who come in – what they, what the, what, what Coach Bassett and she, and she understands this. Don't try to be Lonnie mm-hmm. Cruz. Be yourself. No one's going to be Lonnie Cruz ever again. And if you try to be Lonnie Cruz, you're going to fail. So that's what I really respect about Coach Bassett and the job that she's done. And she's kind of made the Sterling College women's basketball team her own program.
0: And, and me having the privilege to be front and center for um, all of her games and her coaching career, head coaching career is even more special to me now because I saw the struggles, you know, you could see the, the post-game interviews with the tough losses, the inexplicable ones that, you know, you felt like maybe your team was a little better than they performed uh, at the end of the season. You know, those struggles that you go through, I think that makes it um, even more special. And I'm sure it does to her and to those girls and to everybody that's been around the program a lot longer than I have to see a former player, a former assistant coach now have that success and bring back the, the tradition and, and all the, uh, the memories that people have and to see that, Hey, this team is going to make some new special memories. And this coach is going to make some new special memories for this program. Again, that's why I think it's, it's been so much fun. And I'm, I'm so looking forward to um, the rest of the season and moving forward. Um, to what she's going to be able to do with this program. Cause it does just bring back uh, a little bit of the old days.
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, that, that, that's that been the hard thing to do is to try to bring back those glory days of Sterling college women's basketball, but she's done just that. And, you know, kudos to coach Bassett and kudos to the, to the lady warriors for what they've done this year. And I don't have any doubt that beyond this year that the program is in great hands.
0: So that's uh that's all of our, uh, topics for this week again if you want to look at the entire week's schedule for ad Astra, go to ad and go to the sports page it's all up on there and to our knowledge right now i think everything is a go for tuesday most everything schools and stuff were closed here as we're recording on monday so hopefully no more bumps in the road as far as weather wise so again join us uh next week we'll have more we'll be having a uh, sneak peek ahead of what sub states are going to look like we'll have more jayhawk and warrior basketball as they head into the postseason but for this week's view from the press box for brad this is scott hogan god bless enjoy your week